0: Okay. Uh, now we have a whole bunch of questions here. Uh, I pick them randomly, no any particular order, and try to answer as much as I can. The first one I picked up is: In what way do we see impermanence in the skandha of consciousness? Is it an action or verb? Ongoing process of uh, knowing. Uh, Consciousness (coughs) (coughs) arises uh, depending on two things. Uh, that is uh, objects and senses. For instance, when we see an object is present in in front of us, uh, I is present, I is present, I open eyes, Object is there. That instant consciousness arises, and then we know, the conscious, the. We, we identify. Making the uh, separation between the senses and sensory objects is uh, the duty of consciousness. Similarly, that therefore that consciousness is called i consciousness. Similarly, when sound is present and the ears are in good shape, it's not defective, then ear consciousness arises. And so forth, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, and mind also, uh, when it is, uh, when we are uh, unconscious, when we are asleep, or uh, the mind is not uh, active, uh, then we cannot uh, have uh, mind consciousness. Mind also has uh, two aspects, the mind as an element, as well as it has another function, the active part is consciousness. But the mind itself, in itself, is an element. Therefore it is called dhatu, Mano Vijnana Dhātu. <coughs> so, consciousness arises momentarily, depending on the particular object. And therefore, it is not... Uh, present all the time uh, as ongoing process. But it it arises and passes away. But consciousness uh, changes uh, so fast that uh, the Buddha said he even could not give a simile to illustrate the speed of changing of the mind the consciousness it changes much faster than anything else that we can think of and therefore uh, when the <coughs> when we are born or conceived in the mother's womb, that instant consciousness arises, but it remains as an element, consciousness element, Ko Manodhātu. When we come out of mother's womb, then, depending on various situations, consciousness becomes active. Otherwise it remains dormant in the dormant state of consciousness is called life continuum. Uh, in Abhidhamma teaching it's called Bhavanga, Bhavanga chitta. Whenever an object present to our senses, this uh, dormant state of mind or dormant element of mind becomes active, then it is called consciousness. And that continues like that. When we pass away, that active uh, state of mind disappears, and then all our greed, ignorance, and uh, karmic accumulation is stored in a very subtle way in our uh, consciousness uh, or manodhatu and then uh, that reproduces its own power in the next existence and that is called uh, ch- uh, that passing is called chuti Chitta and uh, reappearing is called Patisandha Jitta. And so forth it is very subtle, complicated state that uh, we call consciousness. Uh, Okay. Is the quality of basic goodness impermanent? Yes, uh, even the basic goodness uh, is subject to uh, defile be defiled, and uh, it will be pure. It can be purified, and then it becomes impure and we what our consciously what we consciously do is to keep it in a a clean shape uh, without letting adventitious defilements defile this uh, good nature in our mind. But even the good nature, good uh, uh, goodness, is not 100% pure. It is subject to change, subject to defile. And therefore uh, it does not stay the same all the time. Subject to change. <clears throat> Though impermanence is, uh, impermanent affects everything as I mentioned earlier. Next question. Uh, when uh, metta meets dukkha, I experience karuna. This makes logical sense to me. When there is insight bhavana, maha, into another, I experience metta, as being more uh, available, no, more, uh, yes, available, this does not make logical sense to me. Um, Okay. Do you have thoughts as to Ray, or is it Perhaps more uh, skillful to just uh, accept and not wander away. Okay. <coughs> In uh, my understanding, both. Uh, metta what you call yeah, karuna uh, uh what you call panya uh, work together to make metta uh, sensible because when we have, when we when we notice uh suffering being Compassion arises in us. If we don't have enough wisdom, we may overreact emotionally because of our compassion. Therefore, the one who has compassion must have wisdom to balance compassion and emotions. Uh, even in the practice of uh, five uh, faculties, five strength, these are factors of enlightenment. And uh, also in the practice of bodhjanga, seven factors of enlightenment. In these three places, uh, wisdom is the Balancing factor. Wisdom is the balancing factor. Therefore, when we have uh, compassion, if there is no wisdom, we will simply overact with emotion. And therefore, wisdom is important, insight is important, panya. Uh, to balance these two factors. Uh, Another question. The world changes fast, impermanent. How should uh, modern Buddhism adapt in order to reach, help more people? I think uh, it's a very, it is also a good question. All questions are good. This is particularly referring to the core teaching of Buddhism. Yes, the world is changing, everything is changing. That proves. The truth of what the Buddha taught. Modern world is changing, ancient world was changed, future world will change, and therefore it simply proves that the Buddha's teaching is true. And therefore, anytime, anywhere in the world, if somebody understands impermanence, that person understands the heart of Buddha's teaching. <laughs> Therefore, in the modern world, it is very good for us, all of us, to think, meditate, and promote the truth of impermanence for, many, for to reach everybody. Many people are ignorant Many people are ignorant. What is the ignorance? Ignorance is not knowing the three characteristics, anicya, dukkha, anatta. They are ignorant. That is why they do many unwholesome things. If they know impermanence, then uh, they will refrain from doing uh, many unwholesome things deliberately. If somebody something happened inadvertently uh, that also is a part of ignorance. So we have to in order to remove ignorance from people's minds in the today modern world we must teach impermanence. And if somebody notice impermanence then that is directly related to the main teachings of the Buddha, impermanence. As I mentioned earlier, in the in the Buddha simile, that simile is very good simile. I don't think you remember all of them, because I said so many things. Uh, let me repeat the simile once again. When the sky is clear of... All clouds, very bright anytime, summer, winter, or autumn, anytime. When the sky is very clear, the light spread, sunlight spread everywhere. Similarly, when impermanence is very deeply rooted in our mind, all our darkness will disappear darkness of ignorance, thought of permanent self. When we see impermanence very clearly, permanent self will disappear like the darkness disappears when the sun is bright, sun is shining brightly. No, any nook or corner in our mind for permanence to hide (laughs) when Impermanence is very clear to us. No way that any ignorance or any permanent notion of permanency can hide in our mind. Another question. Could you please explain how metta and three characteristics of existence are related? i mentioned in my talk when we practice metta why we practice metta because world is full of suffering world means not the trees and you know buildings and rocks and sand and world means living beings in according to the Buddha's teaching, it is called Arya Vinaya, loko, loko, loko means the world, in the Arya Vinaya, the noble one's discipline, world well is this five aggregates, with its consciousness. And therefore, the suffering exists in these aggregates, in our, these five aggregates, in the Buddha's teaching, especially in Dependent Origination and uh, Dhamma Sutta and so on, Buddha called it Dukkha Khanda, <laughs> Panchakhanda, Dukkha Khanda, Panchakhanda means five aggregates, all the five aggregates put together, is called Dukkha Khanda, aggregates of suffering. This entire existence is actually aggregates of suffering. This very profound, don't get too gloomy and say everything is bad and bad and so forth. But that is the truth, if we very mindfully look at it. And therefore when the world means all living beings suffer, suffering, We practice metta to relieve them from suffering. That is why we say, may all beings be well, happy and peaceful in our metta practice. Why they suffer? Because they don't understand impermanence. When they don't understand impermanence, they try to cling to impermanent things. When they try to cling to impermanent things, they cannot cling. On the one hand, things are changing. On the other hand, you are trying to cling. These two never match. There is a friction. That friction is called suffering. You understand that? On the one hand, things are changing, 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 changing. On the other hand, we are trying to hold on to these changing things. Impermanent things. When we cannot do that, frustration arises in us. That is suffering. So when we practice metta, we want all of us and all other beings to understand this nature of impermanence. This is impermanent, you cannot. Cling to it. Clinging is a thought you can never put into action. Clinging is a thought. You just think about it. Clinging is just a thought, which can never be implemented, put into action. And that is why suffering arises. Why we try to cling? Because of our ignorance that things are changing. Ignorance means not knowing the truth so we don't see the truth and therefore we try to change what metta practice does we wish people to be wise so that they can see the changes and reduce their suffering this this it's a very logical way of chair practicing metta to relieve suffering from people's mind because they don't understand impermanence, and impermanence is therefore is is uh, all pervasive uh, state, and therefore we try to understand that and try not to dwell upon oh, upon clinging <coughs> when clinging the thought of clinging arises, Imper- we must be mindful of impermanence, and therefore we, may- we can say to ourselves, well, I like so-and-so, I like such-and-such such thing, however, that is impermanent, therefore my love, my respect, my attachment, all are temporary, <clears throat> I must learn to train myself to accept impermanence rather than trying to cling to things. You need wisdom for that. That will not come very quickly. Wisdom lingers very slowly. it comes to us. Don't expect that to come very at the end of this retreat how to see impermanence and no self in meditation i think that's a very good uh, time to see impermanence and no self i mentioned many things today when you see impermanence very honestly in the most subtle way you know how we happen how it happens At the beginning, we experience impermanence in a gross level, gross level. Breath is coming and going, coming and going. That is is the awareness of gross level of impermanence. As the breath becomes subtler, awareness of impermanence also becomes subtler. When breath becomes more subtle, Our awareness of impermanence is at the peak. That means we become aware of the subtlest level of impermanence. Until we reach the subtlest level of impermanence, we cannot see selflessness. That is what happened to those uh, that story I mentioned, Venerable Kondanya pays total attention to the Buddha's teaching and he saw the subtlest moment of impermanence and attained enlightenment, at least first level. In the other story of kemaka kemaka has done much homework, and has attained the third level of enlightenment, still he had the notion of Self, notion of Self, which he could not find any of his aggregates, but it was lingering in his mind. The moment he saw impermanence in the subtlest and deepest way, then that notion of impermanence vanished and attained liberation. This happens in meditation. In other ways, you, can, other ways, sometimes you know, if we keep practicing mindfulness of impermanent over and over and over again, so one day, and it some sometimes so it happens in a very split split second, something happens. Then you will see, ah, impermanent. There is no self. You attain enlightenment that is sudden attainment of enlightenment, you attain that state only if you have been practicing impermanence very diligently, uh, mindfully for a long period of time. So the moment you see impermanence very clearly, deeply, that moment the notion of permanent self will disappear. I mentioned there is no moment to stop anything. I said, when something rises, come to the peak. Peak moment is not the moment it stops. It continuously changes. Even in the peak moment, it is changing. It is called altering and then disappearing. So... There is no room within this impermanent truth for permanent self to exist. (laughs) No way. Only in meditation you can see it more clearly. Other times you may have a little, you know, what do you call, little uh, flash of Impermanent, selflessness. If, this is another question, if everything is impermanent, are laws also impermanent? Surely. All the laws are impermanent, except the law of impermanence. <laughs> law of gravity, karma, dharma, Uh law of gravity is the law of impermanence, because gravity uh, ch- changes according to various uh, conditions, situations. Uh, I cannot explain it scientifically because I don't know science, uh, but uh, uh, there can be certain interruptions to gravity. You remember when uh, uh, Galileo tried to prove that uh, uh, iron or cotton drop to the ground at the same time, he cannot prove because he did not take the variable factor into consideration. Only when the moon, when the rocket Apollo, whatever, in 1969, reached the moon, then Neil Armstrong was able to drop a piece of cotton and iron and then it fell on the moon simultaneously because the variable factor was not there. So gravity has uh, certain uh, obstructing variable factors, but for impermanence there is no such <laughs> such of obstructing factors. Impermanence is impermanent. Law of Dhamma is impermanent. I mentioned earlier Law of dhamma, uh, law of karma also impermanent, because there are many factors that uh, change the karma, many factors, uh, and therefore those factors uh, change the way the the law of karma. Uh, uh, upadhi, uh, or uh, uh, and pyoga, uh, and there are factors that can change the law of karma. <coughs> uh, for instance, uh, while the karma is still powerful somebody keeps practicing suppose somebody has going to have a bad effect of unwholesome karma. Some reason for some reason he meets a uh, good Kalyana Mitta, good friend. He teaches him Dhamma and uh, this person will follow his instruction, follow the Dhamma, and then Attain full liberation, then even though the karma's effect is still is remaining, he attains full enlightenment. And uh, in that life, part of the remaining karma may affect him, but not in the full force because he already has attained liberation. <coughs> so there are various things. To change it, but law of the law of uh, impermanence doesn't change. Can all existence pass anyway, not automatically? all existence, all existence must come to an end by the attainment of full liberation and and passing away. Until such time, uh, existence will continue because of ignorance and craving. These two are the factors that keep us going in circle, round and round and round and round. I, I try to answer this question uh, as much as try to make it brief because uh, there are so many. Uh, do you have any tips on how to send metta to a difficult person? We wish for people to be well, happy, and so on with full. Uh, our with a, with utmost sincerity, with the the at the bottom of our deepest level of our heart, in the deepest way most sincerely we wish. whether it works or not, uh, we don't know <clears throat> there may be various things, and therefore, wishing people in difficult situation, uh, wishing them well, peaceful and happy and so forth, is a very good practice for us to do. But whether it happens or not, uh, in that is, uh, there is no guarantee. Metta practice works for the one who practices it. And therefore, uh, wishing anybody uh, well, happy and so forth is a very good practice. Uh, next question, if life is impermanent, is the purpose of life? <laughs> or What is the purpose of life? <coughs> so. The purpose of life is to understand impermanence. Otherwise, uh, we simply live and die. Uh, We as human beings have uh, wisdom, insight, capacity to think. And uh, since life is impermanent, We do all the best wholesome things to liberate ourselves from this impermanent repetition, impermanent uh, life, repetition of impermanent life. End by liberating from greed and ignorance. That is the purpose of love. In all these years of uh, uh, being a monk, have you come across uh, uh, somebody who has uh, practiced the Buddha's teaching and become an Arahant? I have not come across any Arahant, but I have come across uh, individuals who are much above normal uh, level uh, that means their their state of mind are so pure and clean that uh, i assume i never asked them but i assume that they have attained at least some level of enlightenment, some level of liberation. That much I can say with certainty, but I cannot say that I met any fully enlightened person. Next question. What is the most important point you want us to take away from the retreat? I want you to take away this message of impermanence. Don't leave it with me, don't leave it behind on your cushion. Take it. All the three characteristics that you are going to learn during this retreat are very, very important for you to remember. I'm not joking. Uh, I'm really serious. I love you all Practicing true vipassana and one day realize the truth of these three characteristics very sooner the better. And therefore, I was, want you to take with that. And I said, You practice vipassana. Without these three characteristics, you never practice vipassana. You may do all sorts of other things in the name of vipassana. Without seeing these three things, you do not practice vipassana. And therefore, I want you to remember this. No matter where you go, whoever you practice with, who is teaching you, will listen and so forth, keep these three things in mind. Uh, I tell you this from uh, uh, 72 years meditation practice. I started meditation when I was 20 years old, now I'm going to be 92. All these years I practice meditation. Not uh, always sitting in one place, <laughs> but uh, practicing meditation. From all these rich experience, this is not a job, friends, meditating so many years in life, Is the real blessing, real blessing. With this rich experience, with confidence, I tell you remember impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and selflessness as the key practice of Vipassana meditation. What are some useful Uh, practices to prepare for the process of dying and the moment of death. Practice (laughs) vipassana. Practice uh, impermanence. Because moment of death, if it happens gradually, uh, then uh, uh, you can uh, practice mindfulness and so forth slowly, depending on the kind of uh, your your conditions. Uh, if some, I don't know the kind of diseases we may have before we die. Before we die, if it happens gradually, then we have plenty of time to think and meditate. If it happens all of a sudden, you don't have much time to think. And therefore, before that moment arises, we prepare our mind. Uh, being as wholesome as we can, we keep your mind very in a wholesome state. Think of good thoughts every day. Every morning when you wake up, you think, let me not have any bad thought today. Let me have all good thoughts in my mind. Let me remain as mindful as possible all day long. Let me not forget my commitments. We may commit in the morning not to have bad thought, but later on we may forget. And therefore we have to think, let me not forget my commitment. And then think, well, everything is impermanent, everything is unsatisfactory, everything without any permanent entity. This is a sort of a process, living is a process. In this process, let me have only good thought in my mind. I think that when you come to the death gradually, the moment of death, you will think, all these years I have been practicing Mindfulness, practising good thoughts, I have been mindful, and let me pass with mindfulness. That will work. I have not come to that level yet, (laughs) but that is what I hope to do. Uh, Is impermanence uh, related to uh, related to an o uh, the sense as the flux and transformation of energy and uh, Materials' interest in all physical and biological processes. Okay. Is impermanence uh, related to. uh, What is this word? Can you see this word? There's a. Yes, And Related to, and? <coughs> yes, so it's related to and uh, slash or. and slash Okay. Yeah. I see. And or, the sense as the flux and transformation of uh, energy and uh, material, materials interest in all physical and biological processes. I must say, yes, for all physical and biological processes are related to impermanence. Uh, We know, uh, for, for instance, chemicals, when we are sick for instance, I just happened to think of it right now. When we are sick, we take some chemical called medicine, in, the, in various forms, pills, uh, liquid, injection and so on. And they must change in our body in order to change us from sickness to wellness. In order to, bodily chemistry must change along with the changes of uh, chemistry we take from, in, in various forms, pills or liquids and so forth. Chemistry in that must change, chemistry in the body must change in order to make us well. And therefore change is important things in both cases, medicine as well as the the sickness and therefore in that case it is uh, related to chemistry physics and biology in one (coughs) in one this example and therefore impermanence is, is affected in all this do you ponder the five uh, permanencies daily? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yes, I forgot to mention it. Uh, five, uh, what do you call, aggregates uh, change, and uh, Uh, and we have to remember that every day. They seem to be the essence of impermanence. Yes, that is true. <coughs> okay. You once said, jhana is not necessary for stream entry. However, a jhana consciousness, a jhana concentration was needed. Can you provide a practical description of jhāni concentration? How can we uh, recognize it in meditation? Okay. <clears throat> Any moment your hindrances or disappear from the mind, that moment you have concentration, that may is jhanic concentration. For instance, uh, in my talk also I mentioned, I did not specifically mention that, but uh, the meaning is that uh, there are people in the Buddhist literature, a man called uh, Upali, he was listening to the Buddha's discourse. While listening to the discourse, on the same, while sitting on the same seat, his mind became free from Nivarana. Vinivarana citta. Vinivarana citta means the mind is free from hindrances. That instant he attained the stream entry. That state, free from hindrances, at that moment is the jhanic uh, concentrated moment. That means that moment he has jhanic concentration to focus the mind on what the Buddha taught. He taught about impermanence. That moment he attained the stream entry. So jhanic concentration is necessary because you have to gain very sharp concentration to penetrate the uh, the ignorance of Permanency. If we feel a very, uh, very strange emotion, very strong emotion, uh, should we change our focus from the breath to the emotion? How about for other physical sensations? Now, if we feel a very strong emotion, should we change our focus from the breath to the emotion? Actually, when we feel, when we have very strong emotional feeling, emotion, we don't have to do anything deliberately. Mind necessarily goes to that emotion. That is the nature, nature of our mind. Whatever is very strong, mind, that strong sensation, drags the mind to there, to that mental state. So, we, it, it happens naturally. And then, when that happens, when the mind goes to the emotion, then you don't have to struggle, just see, Even this emotion is not permanent. This emotion is changing, disappearing. That is the benefit of knowing impermanence at that time. If other physical sensation arises, mind naturally goes there. Okay what are the signs of uh, reaching the stage of stream entry entry and why are there uh, a skeleton in the building just curious okay the sign of uh, uh, gaining stream entry, enterer what are the signs of uh, reaching the stage of stream enterer sign is that uh, you see impermanence clearly so that your notion of self will not be there, you still have the notion of I, but the notion of permanent self is no longer there. That is one sign. Then you don't have doubt about the Buddha Dhamma Sangha because uh, the Buddha taught this truth from his own personal experience. And not only that, Buddha did not invent something new to teach us, but he taught us something that already is there, that is impermanence. So we must have confidence in the Buddha's teaching. When he said that is impermanent, everything is impermanent, we experience it, we can experience that. And therefore, what he taught then, as truth, is true even today. So, we have confidence in the Buddha. So, our doubt about the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha disappears. Our notion of permanent Self will disappear. And uh, uh, the belief that we can attain any level of enlightened mind, by practicing, by attached, being attached to all kind of rituals, rules and rituals. There are people in the world who think that if they practice certain rituals every day, they can attain liberation. That is not true. We can never attain liberation from by being attached to rituals so that you will not have in your mind that means you will you will know from your own experience that you are not believing that ritual makes you enlightened you know that you have no doubt about the buddha dhamma sangha you know that there is no permanent eternal entity called self these are the three things you see, and then you know, when you see these three things, you are stream enterer. Why the skeletal is there outside at the meditation hall, is for us to remind ourselves what we have within this body. And uh, we will reduce to that. And uh, Even that, after a long time, will reduce to dust, and when the gush of wind comes, even that dust will disappear. In order to remind us that situation of that nature of this life, we have it there. You know, sometimes adults seeing that are scared of it. When children come, they go and count the bones and they like to play, they don't have that fear. Okay, the last question. Can an animal become enlightened? Not as an animal. If animal evolved gradually, slowly, to human level, then that animal can attain liberation. What is the difference between a human and animal in this regard? (laughs) The human has so much potential, power, and ability to develop wisdom, and so forth and so on. Animals don't have any of those things, except uh, propagate their species, and have greed, and Ignorance and so on. I think that's enough for tonight's uh, answering questions. And uh, thank you very much for writing very clearly. And I hope you continue your practice. And uh, I must say good night to everybody.